0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NotaGrow Grow podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ivan Kahn, and I'll be breaking down topics around education, growth, and culture with the intention to help your own growth journeys. Currently, I serve as a CEO at Kahn's a K a K-12 online learning program where our team collectively promotes knowledge, encouragement, and community. One of the unique privileges of my work is the opportunity to really explore the various challenges that people face Within themselves, their families, and overall community systems. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Rima Begum, the lead organizer at Queens Mutual Aid. Rima, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, at a time uh, on a momentous occasion, you know, Eid weekend. Uh, this is a Eid, Eid uh, special episode, and you know, you're the lead organizer at Queens Mutual Aid, a support network for New York City residents, looking to organize uh, our own communities through the COVID crisis. How are you doing? And you know take us through uh, the last few months
1: yeah i'm I'm doing really well um, thank you for for having us. Um, I think it's important for you know for us to do, um, have these topics um, that oftentimes you know we don't get to hear about um, so Queens mutual aid started back in in March um, kind of right after March 16th, when, um, you know, that's kind of the date that's ingrained in our, in our brains a little bit about when the coronavirus kind of started, right? Because that's mm-hmm. when the government um, shut down. Um, so Queen's Mutual Aid was, you know, um, founded by a group of organizers. Um, mm-hmm. It's mostly women-led, mm-hmm. uh, myself and many other folks uh, mm-hmm. like Momita Ahmed, Noreen Akhtar, Rakshana Ali, mm-hmm. Stacey, Tasnia. Um, I'm sure I'm missing many other names. Um, it's, it's a women-led um, organizations, and we've partnered with so many amazing people um, throughout Queens to make this happen.
0: So it's, you know, we're in month three, um, and you folks have done everything from uh, organizing food deliveries to working with local distributors. Um, it, it, it must be a lot. Um, how are you dealing with how are you and your fellow organizers dealing with that mental pressure? And then we'll jump into some of your early days on uh, in your journey to this incredible social work.
1: Yeah, I mean, making this work the last three months has been intense. Um, there's so much uh, suffering and need that's in the community that a lot of people are not in the media. Um, a lot of the coverage is usually health right? Um, How many people are infected, the rate of infection, the rate of deaths. Um, But oftentimes we don't talk about like the suffering of food insecurity, housing insecurity. I mean, being some people even being able to pay their phone bill, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're lucky that we have about 230 plus volunteers um, that are committed to helping us. These are all volunteers. Uh, we don't get paid, right? Um, all the money that's donated through individual donations have been helping us sustain, you know, Queens Mutual Aid. Um, we, you know, started this before uh, the apex, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of folks uh, remember the apex as the, the hump around the curve, right? Of, mm-hmm. of the highest rate of deaths. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we've, got, we've made a lot of headway, which is amazing. But when you're doing this work, when there was a full-on crisis, Mm
2: -hmm. I mean,
1: people being turned away from hospitals, right? People dying in their apartment. Um, We were on the ground, you know, making these deliveries because we knew that in order for us to bring down those rates, we needed the seniors, the folks with the underlying health issues to really stay at home and rely on us. Um, in order to get some of their basic needs like food and medicine. Um, And, you know, we haven't tracked like how uh, impactful our service was, but I'm assuming that it was, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because if those people who are infected, for example, go out to the supermarket because they need food, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then they end up infecting so many other people mm-hmm. um, and that was one thing that we and, and we know the the growth right of of infection it's just literally being next to each other mm-hmm. um, and so we really really wanted to participate in like um you know uh making the curve a lot smaller and doing as much as as we can um, we've done orders all the way from long island city all the way out to queen's village and melrose Um, We cover a lot of grounds, but we do have a lot of partners and volunteers that help us kind of make that happen on a daily basis. Um, On average, we get about 45 to 50 requests per day. Um, That's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot to, yeah, it's a lot to manage. Um, The stories that we hear are, you know, um, insane. Mm -hmm. Um, We hear just stories of suffering all around, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, you know, my my daughter or son or my mother know how to help them right because I need to stay away also but I also like need to make sure I take care of them um and so you know it's been three months and I think I haven't had a full chance to kind of process um because of the urgency of all the requests we always felt like every request was was dire um, and we, you know, tried our best to get them out almost immediately because we knew that these folks were, were suffering and one of the main suffering was food insecurity. Mm. Um, and we we tried our best um, to, you know, fulfill some of those, those needs that um, I feel like was a huge gap in the government, right? Um,
2: mm.
1: Our government should be supplying that. We're one of the richest city um, in the world, I would say. Um, and we had people, I mean, lined up up Food pantries and even being turned away. Um, they're still having a lack of income, um, and you know, still having to pay a lot of their bills today.
0: And I want to, I'm going to shift the conversation to what you just addressed as far as preparedness. Clearly, this is you know we hear the word unprecedented over and over again, and there was, um, you know. The chances of a pandemic, a pandemic of this caliber, um, it's, not, it's, not an, it's not something that a lot of people could anticipate. However, there are a lot of basic missed connections that may have been right under the city or the state's eyes and whether acting sooner or making the right connections early enough. Why do you think there was, uh, so much failure from local to state to, you know, and the federal government, we're not, it's, it's just, that's just designed to fail us. So, and, and the city and state level, what are your, you know, what are the takeaways from some of you and the group members of the reasons why the response, uh, failed?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, two reasons probably one, you know, the red tape, the bureaucracy of government, um, you know, in a pandemic, um, you know, uh, we understand that there's a process to everything. But, um, you know, in times of crisis, it requires creative ways of, you know, working outside of those boundaries. Um, So that would be one this. The second would be that um, I feel like the folks that were making decisions for the community Mm -hmm. um, are very privileged people, um, are people that don't look like you and I, right, don't Mm -hmm. come from communities like you and I. Mm -hmm. And so they're very far removed. And so their thought process of how to solve um, you know, a hunger crisis is, is really a top-down um, solution that they created versus asking the community, especially like established um, nonprofits, mm-hmm. grassroots organizations, organizers, like how do we solve this hunger crisis that we are anticipating that is going to be long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's been three months, we know that it's going to trickle, as you said, many months into the future, maybe even into next year. We don't know the recovery time for the economy. Um, We haven't even started to have the conversation around that, really, Um, because we're still looking at Mm -hmm. daily Mm -hmm. indicators, right? Yeah, of how how many people we're losing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if there was a bottom-up approach, um, there are so many local groups in every neighborhood, Mm -hmm. um, whether they're political groups, whether they're associations, whether they're shamatis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are groups that are formal and informal in every community. And the problem was that the government used, on city-state level, used a, a top-down approach, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's where they, they really, really failed um, us in at least addressing food initiative. I know the mayor, you know, came out and, and, and talked a whole lot about how many iftar meals he was going to deliver and how much money he was putting into this. Um, and, and I just want to make it clear that that money is actually our money, right? Um, it's our tax paying dollars. Mm, Um, so it's not that the city just printed
2: this money, right? These are, these are taxes that we paid that we continue to pay, um,
1: and, and to solve this, um, is exactly why the government failed um you know uh, they could have easily connected with mutual aids because we're not a group um you know there was there was red tape but we've learned that mutual aids are uh, best equipped to serve the community and we've filled in the gaps that the government has not been able to even to this day to be able to do
0: so it's we see that a lot In community building, we see that a lot Um, in small business. We see that a lot in any type of organizing efforts. Uh, As things get larger, it becomes more complicated. And bureaucracy, uh, it's just one of those things that just sucks the life out of any goodness of any initiative. And to the other thing you mentioned, just the top-down approach of ignoring the front lines. It's the fastest way to crumble uh, anything good if it's a top-down approach. Um, so if it's all right, I'd like to go back to a little bit of the early days for you, Remo. And, you know, did you always, how are you so aware of these um, social needs? And, you know, were there any uh, moments in your childhood where you started thinking about this journey and this pathway into, you know, a leadership and social work?
1: Yeah. So if, you know, you've ever met me, you will know that I'm very passionate about housing. That's Mm -hmm. kind of like my passion and my niche in life. Um, I actually grew up in, um, in public housing. Mm. Um, And uh, that really spoke to, um, you know, what I do today. It really Mm -hmm. shaped Um, exactly where I am today Um, I remember you know going into management office and advocating on behalf of my mom at a very young age Mm -hmm. you know my mom who's you know uh, not English proficient uh, not able to understand the bureaucracy uh, or the processes or the systems and to this day there are many Bangladeshi kids that do that right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they help their they're a segue between you know the government and their parents or service and their parents And and kids try their best, right, to try to understand systems. And so, very early on, I realized that, you know, there were people who lived in in like well off areas that didn't have the same issues that we Mm -hmm. had, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't have peeling paint, didn't have heat, Mm -hmm. hot water issues. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't have the same rodents, roaches,
0: garbage pickup issues. Yeah, none of those things were. Uh, underfunded schools, to food deserts, to not having access to healthy halal meals, or um, just just a lot of the challenges that communities of color and new immigrant communities uh, face, you know, in a a side-by-side, you know, fashion on a day-to-day basis. So this, you know, this exposure to the system, like so many other immigrant kids, when we're the connector between mom and dad and services or just security, um, how did you grow to learn about social work for any younger people inspired by your work? And if you could take us through some of the requirements on the, on the collegiate level and even the master's level and the differences and, you know, any, any tips you'd have for younger women and men uh, growing into social work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I got my social work degree from Hunter College, uh, which is a really well-known uh, social work school. Many folks you know, apply. Um, I specifically went to the one year residency um, program. So that meant that I worked full time and I went to school full time. Wow. Um, I did evening classes. Um, a lot of times what you will see is that mostly people of color go to the one year residency because they yeah. have to maintain their income for their family or, you know, their, you know, source mm-hmm. of income for food and water and, and uh, rent, I mean. Um, and then I also went to school. Um, Hunter is a pretty difficult school to get into, um, uh, but I think they have an amazing program um, it's an overall well-rounded program. The track that I specifically did was community organizing. Mm-hmm. So what I do uh, in my like, work now is that I look at policies and laws and mm-hmm. how they affect people's mental health right, on a mass scale. Mm-hmm. So I don't do clinical work, which is what most folks know social workers to be. right? It's one-on-one mm-hmm. therapy. You counsel someone, either mm-hmm. a child, an adult, some sort of population. But I work uh, with in the housing world mm-hmm. and I do community organizing to deal with the mental health issues that come with that. Mm-hmm. So the mental health issues that come with living with rats, rodents, right, um, decarpit uh, situations, to getting eviction notices. you know people who are getting eviction notices are not jumping for joy right? They're anxious, they're nervous. Um, they fall into a level of depression. Um, And so I'm using both of my skills of like building community power and then also treating the individual issues, right. That come up the hopelessness, the helplessness. And so that's kind of for folks who, you know, want to be a social worker, want to help out in the world, um, in general, but maybe, you know, you feel like you are, um, you are not equipped with, uh, or you don't want to do individual therapy, because that's also a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're taking on people's trauma, Mm -hmm. um, which also happens uh, in community organizing, but probably in a different way. Um, You know, we talk about secondary trauma and all that. And some people, um, will, as long as you know yourself, then you know that, hey, I can do therapy with someone and I I want to do that. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: But there are some folks like myself who are like, I see this pattern happening right um and it's not just one person it's a like a, a group of people that and i want to solve that yeah. problem right yeah. i want to solve it from the root everyone right i want to do it in a mass level um so i you know i look specifically work uh i get a little bit of everything so i get to work with people individually but then i also work with elected officials organizations coalitions and we try to build on all three levels um, bringing from the individual perspective all the way up to, you know, government. Um, and so that's one track that you can do in social work. There is a third track. Um, it's called, I think, um, something around management. So it's more about managing uh, a nonprofit organization or a group of social workers. Um, and, and those are typically the three tracks that are um, available. If clinical the majority of social policy workers management? Is, the, management,
0: is that the, yeah clinical policy and management. And we have, you know, we have an increasing number of uh, college age listeners. Uh, we have, um, and, and we, I, I'm always looking to lay out the pathways for young people uh, following in the footsteps of our guests. And uh, so uh, back to you. I mean, I, I really want to follow up on this mental health aspect of it. Uh, before we go to our first break, um, I just want to, you know, let all the listeners out there, no matter what type of housing situation you're in, whether you're in a one-bedroom apartment, like a lot of us start off in, uh, to uh, public housing or, you know, you're, you're sharing, um, you know, your home with many, many families, which is very common. You know, I want everyone to know that you're not alone. Um, and if you're feeling uh, anxious and sometimes depressed about it, it's a very common thing. So, if you can, if you can give a, a quick couple of minutes on just ways that people facing that gloom um, can keep moving, uh, you know, keep their spirits up through the mental health, uh, uh, you know, the battles that that we all have, but you know, it's exacerbated and much made much worse in uh, situations like that. So, thank you, Rima, for for addressing that.
1: Yeah, um, I also just want to add that I got my um, undergraduate degree from City College uh, under psychology. And so you do need to have a bachelor's degree in order to go to the master's degree mm-hmm. um, to be, a, you know, to apply for um, taking the license to be a licensed clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, self-care is so, so important, right? Um, I, I'm doing so much and, and I think self-care is one of the hardest things to practice is being selfish, um, but for the good reasons, right? Um, I know some people think like is, you know, boring, um, but journaling really, really helpful to be able to put those, the, you know, random thoughts that are coming, coming into your head and to put them on paper. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when I'm looking back at my journals, I, I think like, oh my gosh, you know, I thought that moment, um, you know, will be the end of it all, or, you know, this was a crisis that I couldn't overcome. Um, and then you're able to reflect that, oh, wow, like, I was really able to overcome kind of particular situation. Other thing I recommend is being solo. Type. You particularly can, you know, occupy um, um, or read a book that I enjoy. Um, there are so many different things that you can do as far as self-care if that means memes look at a bunch of memes right um if that means youtube videos, just
0: one second, okay, right? right and
1: i think that's the main point it shouldn't make you more anxious um, but it should help you come you know reduce your anxiety in some some level way um and but that also requires a lot of understanding of yourself
0: so i'm so sorry rima if there was a little technical uh, challenges for uh, our audience i just reset my internet connection but i i, I did catch as far as an outlet, as far as writing and processing what you're going through through journals or reading and and keeping up with those outlets, um, is there anything I missed on that?
1: Sorry, I have to change my position a little bit.
0: No, um, no, it's in, the internet has has been uh, tough on my side as well. So, um, so, so journaling. Reading, uh, for me personally, it's been, you know, having conversations like this and creating. Um, you know, there are a lot of times where even I'm, you know, I'm waking up and, and wondering and, you know, worried for the community's food, uh, as uh, you know, access or the health of close ones that we are hearing that are passing. Uh, so throughout all that, you know, self-care isn't easy because... You don't wanna feel like you're taking a vacation for yourself for even for an hour and you, and you feel like you wanna be there for someone or for something, but um, I'm a strong believer in you gotta be able to take care of yourself first before right. helping others. So on that note, thank you so much for uh, starting us off on the education section. We'll take a quick break and we'll go into the growth and talk a little bit more about the initiatives at Queens Mutual Aid and some of the experiences. Uh, To all our listeners, you've been listening to uh, Conversation with Rima Begum with Queen's Mutual Aid. We will be right back. And we're back to the Not podcast. Queens Mutual Aid with Remo Begum. Remo, we just left off speaking about uh, self-care through the quarantine, uh, especially if you are, um, you know, working to respond uh, and help with the response as a, you know, as, throughout your network. Um, I, I have to ask you, uh, how did you and the organizers make things happen so quickly? How did the effort and the work actually grow and come to fruition in such a quick, uh, short amount of time?
1: Um, I think a lot of it um, had to do with um, us really being from the community and understanding the urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a group of nine of us that are mostly the core group. Mm. Um, and what we do is we do a lot of processing of uh, requests and you know, asking people what it is that they need. If there's issues with their unemployment, if there's you know any other like did they not get their stimulus check, you know we do a really well-rounded wellness kind of check with people. Um, we just don't want folks to you know call us and then or send in a request and then it's kind of touch and go. We really try to understand their stories, what's going on, how many people are in their families, you know what their struggles are. We really try to capture a lot of those stories. So once the dispatchers kind of go through a wellness check. Um, we start to contact, um, connect them with a neighbor in their community. And a lot of the resources that we use to kind of do that is, is mainly WhatsApp. We know a lot of people mm-hmm. use WhatsApp. It's convenient. Mm-hmm. And so what we have is smaller mutual aid groups kind of in those specific areas. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, Jackson Heights Mutual Aid. We have a Forest Hill Mutual Aid, a Jamaica one, a Long Island City one. And we have all of these kind of all in different pockets of areas mm-hmm. And in each of those WhatsApp groups has a bunch of volunteers, um, and people are able to assess on their own time whether I can do this request. Is it close to my home?
2: Mm-hmm. Is
1: this something that I have money for? Because um, mm-hmm. that's the other thing, right? We, um, the way our system is set up is that volunteers have signed up to kind of purchase those items in advance, and then they are reimbursed by us later mm-hmm. on. Um, so that's typically kind of how we process, you know, requests and stuff. Um, it's very difficult to manage all of those. It is. Um, but I think somehow in leaning against each other, right. Um, the nine core folks, um, along with our, our partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we've done Ramadan boxes and, you know, our amazing partners at Alibaba, Nabik, uh, Long Island helpers, JMC. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone's name, you know, Mm. Um, you know, our partners also make it make this happen and make this possible. We also have a large amount of people that have volunteered that have cars. Mm. And I think that's kind of been our key to success, really. Um, We have folks that, you know, with a car, you can take about at least 15 orders. Mm. Um, So you can knock out at least minimum, like 15 orders. It also depends on the size of the car. But Usually about 15 orders you can, you know, complete. Um, So we're lucky in that we have a lot of folks that have transportation that are able to, you know, go out to neighborhoods like Velrose, right? Um, That are kind of very far, don't have train access, you know. Um, And a lot of our reasons for doing this more hyper-local work is that we really didn't want our volunteers to get on a train, right? And we saw like pictures of the trains being crowded and all of that. Um, and, you know, going from Jackson Heights to Jamaica, for example, we really, really wanted to focus on hyper-local. And we also wanted to make sure that our volunteers knew their neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. That they were able to connect with each other in case they needed more things or more support. Um, And so that's kind of how we've been able to sustain our model, which has been really good. Um, We've uh, done very little uh, publicity or media Um, And a lot of our requests, you know, I mentioned that we have 40 to 50 requests, Mm -hmm. all of that is mostly word of mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. It's because someone, you know, submitted a form, went through our process, got food and actually confirmed, right? Like, oh, these people are real. I'm not just submitting a form, right? I'm not just submitting a Google Doc, but I actually got this and I got it for free. And so that's kind of how we've been growing it's been word of mouth that's honestly i mean the only way that we've been like getting so many more requests um i know momita did a new york uh one kind of story very early on i think in march um but since march i mean we've had like 10 requests per day now we have about 50 and we're three months in
0: is there any way that these incredible mutual aid networks that have truly been the backbone of these communities, from Jackson Heights to Jamaica. Um, and these are neighborhoods that uh, I've grown up in, my wife has grown up in, and we are, you know, working in and, and, and working side by side with other, uh, you know, community builders. Um, is there any way that city funding can start Taken over the like as far as supporting Queen's uh, mutual aid financially? Is there any way, are there any revenue streams uh, or is that more bureaucratic red tape? Like, what's going to happen after uh, the next few months?
1: Yeah, I think we're kind of in that period where we're asking ourselves that question, right? Mm. Um, How long is this going to continue? How long can we continue? Uh, What are funding avenues? Um, You know, if folks are you know, folks are willing to fund us without any red tape, that's usually the best, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's really why we've been able to do what we've been able to do.
2: Um,
1: We've been able to make things really snappy. Um, We've been able to buy bulk without having to get approval from somebody, right? Mm -hmm. without having to submit an approval or any of Mm -hmm. that. Um, I, I feel like the future would be for mutual aids to work with. Community-based organizations mm-hmm. in that kind of um, area, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be the best approach um, because if that funding is just provided to mutual aids to do the delivery part and not have to deal with the kind of more like red tape part of you know which department is this being filed
2: mm-hmm.
1: to, you know, because all of that,
0: oh, like, my God. Creates- because so uh, just a little bit of like stories of our journeys as a being um, a not-for-profit leader at our foundation that we've had in the past, from city council, discretionary funding, to applying to foundations that have a large amount of money, allegedly, but there's thousands of applicants. And uh, it's a really tough race to secure funding whether it's due to bureaucracy or due to 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 competition or lack of adequate resources for everyone. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of um, collaborative projects that allow everyone to lend their best strength. And uh, for folks in the mutual aid networks, it's really from the ground up and it's in the community level. And I know that NPOs that have a complementary grow our um, key aspect of it. Hopefully community-based small businesses can also continue uh, becoming a part of these collaborative networks. And again, I've always been the proponent that you can't ever depend on one entity, the government alone or uh, corporations alone, definitely not. Um, and even just the good work uh, that people want to do. I mean, it, it really does take a lot of teamwork and collaboration and hats off to you and your fellow organizers for shh, providing a real life example of this is how you effing get it done. So, you know, hats off to you. Um, Thank you. Anytime. I mean, like, uh, you know, we're real, real uh, big fans. And uh, so, you know, let's go to our last section and we'll make it a little faster and a little bit more uh, hopefully some fun questions. I got to ask, Queens is one of the most diverse places on earth. And we have to deliver food, which is probably one of the most, you know, culturally sensitive, personal things. How are you all managing from uh, the samosa to the empanada to this type of rice to that type of rice? Cultural sensitivity <laughs> is important. So how are you folks achieving that on the daily?
1: we I'm honestly just like asking my friends, right? My friends mm-hmm. from different backgrounds that, hey, I have a a family that's of this particular ethnicity, you know, what is the best food for this, for this person in this family? Um, Because the last thing we want to do is not provide something that's culturally appropriate because I, I would hate that. Right. Mm -hmm. if that came to my family um, or to any of my clients Um, and really just like relying on knowledge from my friends, um, from our organizer group, um if folks have experience with that we also like don't want people to get you know um dates and then they're like not muslim right or mm-hmm. they don't they don't eat that type of food because then it's what it's a waste it's, That's it's the a mismatch and
0: everyone loses right
1: we end up what ends up happening is the family's like oh i don't know what to do with this i don't i don't eat this yeah and then what they end up doing is throwing it away yeah, um, we have a huge problem with throwing out food, um, especially in New York City. Our waste um, is is extreme, and so we try to limit that. And by limiting that, you know, we provide one group with a very particular set of food. Um, we try to uh, obviously we can't get every single thing on the item,
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the list because sometimes they're just not available or they're very expensive,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, like meat, for example. Meat has gone mm-hmm. up tremendously, but we know it's an important. Um, meal Maple. for a lot of families, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but then we also know that dal is very important for Bangladeshi mm-hmm. families, mm-hmm. Um, whereas black beans are are more important for folks from a different community,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but aren't particularly in a dish in a Bangladeshi household. Mm-hmm. Um, and that knowledge is is purely just being able to ask um, someone else, right? To be like, I don't, I don't know uh, what I should get. Can you help me figure out what I should get? Um, and and people have been more than willing to kind of share. Right, um, Like, hey, if they're from this region, then they will like this particular thing. Um, or if they're from another region, they, they have to have this as a staple.
0: Did you expect your vir- uh, video to go viral, by the way, of exposing the horrible no. <laughs> delivery of uh, of, of, what they, uh, of the mush that, that you captured on video and revealed? I did
1: not. It was just one thing that I was like, hey, you know, the, the mayor is giving out free meals uh let me let me see if it's good right that was honestly all it was yeah um and i made a a kind of a reaction video um and i am glad people know about what the city is is providing muslim families i mean it it was so nasty so gross i wouldn't eat it i wouldn't feed it to my family um we haven't gotten a clear message from the city or whoever the vendor was we you know uh, i ordered one meal and I came to find out that those were military rations. Yeah, um, yeah. You know?
0: Um, it's like the worst of everything you could possibly imagine. And I know. you don't want to be in your food and military and all our, our history as a Muslim community in the past 20 years uh, with everything. So it's just a, a, a real cluster F. Um, I, I got to ask you. What would you, what do you, uh, if everything is available on, on, uh, on a great day during your runs, uh, to the Costco's, to the restaurant depots, to the halal stores, what goes into a typical bag for, uh, um, a typical Muslim family for a bag of groceries, uh, for all the donors who are hopefully listening, what will that support? And if you could just go through the, the grocery contents, cause you know, we, we see the photos and. Uh, I do grocery runs for my mom and my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and, and my family, and it's it's really uh, eye-opening to just to just have the conversations with everyone at the stores and just understand what we're all going through. So, um, take us through the the items, please.
1: Yeah, so we definitely try to provide enough food for at least a week. Mm-hmm. Um, this really depends on the family size, of course. Mm-hmm. If it's you know two people or one person, it will obviously last them longer. But if it's a family of, you know, eight or nine, it'll last them a little less, um, which is why a lot of those wellness checks are really, really important. Right. Um, Because we want to make sure that if it's a family of 10, that we're actually sustaining them for for seven days.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And so what we provide typically is usually we provide a 20 pound bag of rice. Um, Which is which is a decent size. Uh, The fifty-pound bags of rice are very difficult for us to carry. Yeah,
0: we can't Uh, we can you know injure ourselves in the process. We'll have to take another trip. Uh, So we got twenty-pound bags of rice. What else we got in there?
1: Uh, We do onions.
0: Onions, yeah. A pack of onions.
1: Uh, potato.
0: The cooking show now. We're making some potatoes. Yeah, oil. Uh, Oil. You gotta have. Do you guys get the vegetable or the corn oil or the canola oil? Like, how do you decide? We usually do the
1: vegetable oil.
0: Vegetable oil, cholesterol yeah, free, what
1: corn, else? Corn uh, is in almost everything. So we try yeah. to limit. Yeah. So we do vegetable oil. Um, we do garlic, ginger, garlic tomatoes. Ginger. We do coriander. Okay. Yeah. We give people coriander and cilantro sometimes depending on the you know family. Um, we also give, a, did I mention ginger already? Yes. We yeah, do an that. array of yeah, we do an array of vegetables. So carrots, um, yeah. we do like eggplant or cabbage. Of course. Uh, it really depends on what's available sometimes.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we do oranges, we do lemon, um, cucumber. Uh, what else am I missing? Eggs, milk, bread. Um, you know, eggs are so versatile and so mm-hmm. important in a lot of our dishes. Um, those are like at least about 10 items or so um, per family. Um, and the then bread. if they're... If they're obviously, like, a family with, a lot, like, a lot of kids, we provide them more milk, right? It, yeah. it really, like,
0: it really depends. Wow. It, you guys have put a lot of incredible, precise thought and matching of the folks' needs and family nutritional needs. Um, I got to ask, how are your uh, nephews and all the kids at home?
1: They're good. Uh, my nephew, who's uh, 10, his name is Ifaz, He's uh, actually working in helping me make some uh, Eid Mubarak cards because we're going to give out some Eid gifts um, tomorrow. So we've, you know, um, been graciously um, being supported by the Muslim Community Network um, and Anika, who's the ED. Um, She's, you know, been gracious in donating a lot of toys um, for our efforts. And so, you know, we've had, Uh, folks who've been a part of our Ramadan packages have been getting food for 30 days now consistently and so we wanted to give their kids a little something Um, and so uh, my nephew's going to help me write really sweet messages to people we're going to package them together um, and have them sent out tomorrow Um, I'm hoping tomorrow's not Eid and maybe Sunday and Monday is Eid yeah
2: Um,
1: and then uh, my nephew Ayan uh, I have so many so I can't go through all of them but I'll through the ones that i live with uh here um so my nephew Ion, he's the mischievous one mm. uh very curious uh loves to be outdoors he's actually having mm. a very difficult time being indoors all the time so, um he's you know always asking to go outside to go outside we're lucky and fortunate that we have a backyard mm. um it's also okay. very difficult to get kids to wear masks you know
2: yeah
1: we tried to at least do you know close to two hours of bike rides in the backyard um, and planting, um, which is also a good you know, mm. self-care um, practice. Um, and yeah, hopefully we're um, you know, planning on doing a backyard barbecue Eid mm. party with just the family so we can feel like we're doing some sort of celebration for Eid, yeah. you know? um, which is you know, usually we would go meet up with our other sisters and other family, which can not happen. <clears throat> uh, we're planning on Zoom parties as well mm. during our Eid session. Uh, and my youngest uh, niece, uh, she's about 15 or 16 months now. She's doing really, really well. She's starting to speak and say words. Um, those YouTube videos are definitely uh, teaching her how to say no to things. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, to food and you know, um, she's learning how to say stop it and mine and of
0: course, you know, uh, no she mine, really gives us the,
1: gimme. The of the day really She's
0: yeah.
1: the one who's like really uh reminding us that the world is so beautiful and so big
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and you know it's it, it, she she will remember mm-hmm. you know all of this and i think her obliviousness um to it kind of reminds us that you know one day we'll get to a better day inshallah you know
0: inshallah it's been so uh incredible speaking to you thank you so much for having this conversation with us at the Nota girl podcast uh, no matter who I'm speaking to, uh, any of the volunteers that I get a chance to speak with, um, everyone is, you know, recognizing uh, your leadership as well as your organizers, but particularly everything you're doing on the daily and how consistent you've been. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for you uh, to not only do, uh, to lead all of this for everyone in uh, the Queens community, Uh, But to also be uh, willing to share some of your time with us, so hopefully we can pay it forward and keep uh, the train moving and and, and keep it going for uh, as long as we need to until you know greater support comes to allow it to make it a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, Uh, you and your your family have been, I mean, so graciously helpful um, during our you know work with Queens Mutual Aid. You guys are sharing and letting people know that this is a service that's available. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that's really all it requires for us to do this work, right, is to connect um, with people. Um, some people are able to, to help with one aspect. Some people are able to help with others, right? Um, there are many people that want to help, but they can't do grocery runs. But that doesn't mean that you can't help us, right? Yeah. There are many, many ways that you can, you know, assist us. And um, we don't anticipate stopping Queen's Mutual Aid, um, we anticipate that we're going to have to continue to do this work, um, and it, it really only works with community members. I'm a community member, you're a community member, right? It, it really only works, um, if we're able to connect on a personal level.
0: It's, uh, it's a privilege, uh, it's a very, very humble privilege to have this conversation with you and to get a chance to support however a little bit we can, um. You know, uh, you know. I want to wish everyone Eid Mubarak, and you know, with that, it doesn't mean that these efforts are stopping. It's only um, more critical that there's more attention brought to supporting. So, on that note, I wish everyone Eid Mubarak uh, for this very special Eid episode. Thank you so much, Rima. Thank you so much, Queens Mutual Aid. Thank Thank you so much to all of your amazing teams everywhere, and we can't wait to have you and some of the others back as uh hopefully things get a little better and we can uh get a recap on how uh everything has gone from from this conversation
1: thank you so much eid mubarak everyone stay Eden. safe stay healthy if you need support reach out to queens mutual aid
0: thank you so much and always remember to keep paying it forward keep paying it forward thank you all